20,000 plus here. Trying to be that sixth man. Carey sizing up Westbrook. Fires a long one. Oh, the bottom. Video game again. Kyrie Irving. Time out. Thunder. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Welcome to The Bottom, a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast with Fear the Sword. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, and I'm back again with Jackson Flickinger to talk about the Cavs' disappointing loss last night. And I'm using the term disappointing very deliberately because uh, that's how I would describe it. It was a 100-97 loss to Miami. Evan Mobley led the way for Cleveland with 19 points. Garland and Mitchell combined for just 32, which is well below their average of a little bit over 50, I believe. And they shot a combined 5 of 20 from the three-point line. Uh, this loss drops the Cavs to 31 and 22 on the season. They are now four games behind second place and three and a half games out of the play-in. So some very different directions the final stretch of the season could take them in. Jackson, do you think this was a bad loss or how would you describe it? Um, It's tough. I don't know. It's, it's certainly not their worst loss, but it was a frustrating loss because it felt like the game was there. And that's kind of, it's more so a, combination of all the losses that they've had before that makes this frustrating uh if this came if this loss came when they were um rolling earlier in in november and the beginning of december i don't think we would say it it was that frustrating but because this has come after what feels like a decent amount of you know just frustrating performances i think it's fair to call it uh disappointing yeah i would agree i think it's disappointing because this is a game when you look at the standings, Miami, uh, you're playing Miami at home. They're right on your tail. And this is a good chance to gain some ground. And you did have a chance to win the game. You played very solid all throughout you know, the, the game and you just kind of drop it at the end there. And like I said, you're four games behind second place. You're also just three and a half games out of the play in. So this is one of those games where, at some point, the Cavs are going to have to take their fate into their own hands. And when you drop one like this, it's it's definitely disappointing. Uh, yeah, agreed. Because it's just, it felt like a lot of the things that kept the Cavs from winning this game is a lot of things that have hurt the Cavs over the last month. So we saw some late fourth quarter offense. The fourth quarter offense was pretty bad. Um Garland and Mitchell only combined for six points in the fourth quarter, which is not ideal. Uh, We saw the Heat go 14 for 31 from three, which is a nice 45%, which is something that we've seen opponents do too often. And the Cavs just couldn't, they couldn't hit a three of their own. They were 11 of 40. So it's just one of those, one of those games where it's like, it felt like we've seen it so many times that it's like, how many more times can we see this before, you know, Something changes. This loss was January in a nutshell for the Cavs, pretty much. It was just the culmination of everything we've been seeing. January, for the longest time, was marked as the toughest month of the schedule. They got caught some lucky breaks in terms of, you know, opponents resting and everything. But overall, they go eight and eight in January. And pretty much every single game was competitive. They had a chance to win, I would say, 15 out of the 16 if you looked at their schedule. The only loss where they really kind of just got killed, the game was over before they walked in the door, was Denver with, I mean, Jokic is just playing unstoppable. Denver's at home. It's in the middle of the grueling road trip and uh, Mitchell's out. They lose and by double the, digits there. And it was the first game Garland was back, I think, after missing some. Yeah. So it yeah. was just like a weird adjustment game. Exactly. 
And uh, so during that stretch, they only had two losses by double digits. It was Denver and the Thunder, which they lost by 12 to the Thunder, but I think that was a game. Again, they were in it for most of the game. It was really, it's a little misleading because it was really the last like six to eight minutes where they fell apart. Other than that, though, six of their eight wins in January were by double digits. So when they did play Milwaukee, resting Chris Middleton and Giannis, they took care of business. When they played the Clippers, no Paul George or Kawhi, they took care of business. The Rockets, you know, these teams that they're supposed to beat, they did a pretty decent job of, of beating them and doing it, you know, by double digits. But then you also have the Warriors loss where, you know, four all-stars are sitting and you can't manage to get a win. The Knicks loss where it feels like they really should have been able to take advantage of that one. And I think that is what summarizes this stretch right here because it's so frustrating to know that they could have won 15 of these games. And the point that I'm making here is I think this describes exactly where the Cavs are right now when I look at them is I think they're a good team that's knocking on the door of greatness. And what I mean by that is most of these losses you could uh, describe as them beating themselves to a degree. They were right in a position to win it. And then for whatever reason, whatever mistakes they made, they weren't able to pull it out. And if you look at a great team in this position, they could have gone 10 and six in January, maybe even 12 and four, but the Cavs are kind of the only thing standing in their way are these little self-inflicted wounds. And so I'm interested to what, to hear what you think about their January stretch. Yeah. Another thing is they blew, blew, they blew a game to the Timberwolves. It was a little more lopsided, but they were up 13 in the third quarter and they just let it completely go away. So it's just, it's, Things like letting their foot off the gas, you know, that's what they did a couple times, you know, against, you know, they're not coming out strong a lot. So like one of the hallmarks of last year's team was they came out and they punched their opponent in the um, face to start the game. And then, you know, as the game went on, they kind of lost steam. But this year it's more so they're just, They've had a lot of games. Uh, the Miami game was not one of them. They started out really well in that game, but they've had a lot of games where they've struggled to get any synergy with their starting lineup. Um, so it's just, you know, these recent performances, they're frustrating because you know that they can be better because it's not like, like, yeah, there's, there was bad execution. You know, they missed a bunch of shots at the end of the game against Miami, but it feels more so like, it's just the sum of their parts is greater than what they're producing. And that's, that's where it's frustrating where it's like they keep running into the same issues and they try to do the same things and expect different results. And it's just, it's just not happening. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, opponents are going to maybe <laughs> shoot a little, a little less from three at some point, but it's like, if we're not changing anything with, how you're defending the three-point line if you're not you know trying to speed up the offense some to try to get out of those half-court ruts because that's what that's what happened against the um thunder they just went the first six minutes of the of the fourth quarter they just couldn't score no matter what and it's like well you got to change something at some point maybe try to hurry up the offense you know try to push it more you know don't wait to play in the half court because you're not a good, you're not a good half court, you know, offense. So it's just, it's just things like that where it just becomes a cumulative effect where it's just, 
like this team, I think this team's better than what their record shows. And they probably got unlucky a couple times, but it's also they're making their own luck here. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, I think they're not doing themselves any favors a lot of the times. Um, I think playing at a faster pace would help them. Uh, the Miami game, another good example of early on, they were looking really good. They were playing fast and loose. Some shots weren't falling. Mitchell in particular had, you know, every shot he took last night looked good. It just didn't go in. And that's something that's going to happen. But I did feel like they looked very good when they were running in transition and playing quick in the first half. And then you kind of slow down in the second half. And when you play against a team like Miami that is so strong defensively and you play in the half court, especially when you're shooting, you know, whatever they shot last night, 11 for 40 or something ridiculous. Like they, they did not shoot the ball very well last night. And when you allow Miami to set up in the half court there, what you end up with is Mobley taking a corner three with, you know, two minutes left because there's just, it's difficult to create any offense there. That isn't a three pointer from one of your non shooters or one of the flaws that many people talk about when we discuss the Cavs in the fourth quarter is it feels like they become very reliant on step back three pointers from Garland or Mitchell. And it's because it's, you're asking a lot of those guys to create a shot at the end of games or just in throughout the game. If you're playing at a slow pace and a team set up in half court, it's difficult to get to the rim. Yeah, we definitely saw that yesterday. Miami went to a two, three zone a lot throughout the game. They varied it up some and we saw, you know, Mitchell was able to get to the basket if he was able to get a switch when they were in man. But then when they were in a zone, it just kind of, it really stalled out the whole, the whole offense. They tried to do some, you know, it just, it just stalled everything out. There wasn't a whole lot of movement on the perimeter. So you ended up with a lot of threes and like the Cavs, like I'm someone who wants the Cavs to take a lot more threes than what they usually do. And they took 40 threes last night, but like, 13 of those were from Mitchell. Seven of those were from Garland, but they weren't like good threes. Like they were just, well, you know, Bam's in the paint. Jimmy's on the perimeter. I'm not going to get to the basket. I'm going to have to take this three. And Mm -hmm. you see that a lot in like the free throw disparity. Like the Cavs only got, you know, 12 free throw attempts. So they weren't getting the line and they weren't getting to the line because they weren't able to force those mismatches and get to the basket. Like that's how, that's how this team, you know, gets to the line and generates good offense. So it's just, you know, it's just frustrating because it's like what this team's currently doing is, you know, this team's just having a really tough time balancing the two bigs and then not having another shooter out there. Like Isaac Okoro, I think played, he played good in, and he had a really big corner three there at the end, but we saw, you know, that's a shot that Miami is very much okay with giving up. And then you saw Evan Mobley, who, yes, we want him to take more threes, but, you know, that maybe not in that scenario. Right. It's, it's tough because it's like, yeah, you want him to take that because it's in the flow of the offense. Like, there's no point of having him out there if you're just going to drive, kick it to him, and then he's just going to catch and reset, you know. So it's, it's just, it's just tough. It's like the Cavs, don't have the they don't have the personnel that JB trusts enough to get the offense going and that's kind of what's frustrating and then 
you add like you add you add in that they are 24th in pace you know they don't get a lot of transition opportunities so like those things together it's like this that's why it's frustrating because it's like they don't have the ability to you know they don't have the personnel and they don't they're not playing in the way that's most conducive to having the personnel that they do have on offense Mm -hmm. yeah So in the fourth quarter last night, I know people talk a lot about the fourth quarter collapses that the Cavs are, you know, prone to have. Apparently they have had some very ugly fourth quarters, but last night they led by four early in the fourth Miami wrestles back, takes the lead. And then Cleveland actually ended the game on a 10 to eight run. Despite the fact that for the final four minutes, the only field goal they had was the Okoro three pointer at the three minute mark. And then you go basically three minutes without scoring until Garland makes that desperation three at the end there of about eight seconds. But they went in a four-minute stretch where they really weren't generating any offense that wasn't from the free throw line. And they still managed to outscore Miami in the final four minutes. They just weren't able to get over the five-point hump that they uh, fell into. So that's just kind of the ebb and flow of a game that's, you know, situation where the Cavs don't want to put themselves down five to begin with, and they don't want to go four minutes without making a field goal. I think something that stood out to me is the fact that Mitchell 13 of his 17 field goals were three pointers. And if you look at his stats throughout January, and especially since he has uh, tweaked that groin injury, I won't read out all the numbers because it's a lot, but he's attempting far fewer shots that are two pointers and he's getting to the free throw line a lot less because of it. And I think that has made it very difficult for the Cavs to close out games like this one, because when you think about why they traded for Donovan Mitchell, it's to close out games. It's the issue they had last year. It's still an issue this year, but Donovan Mitchell is just so good that he's able to overcome a lot of those flaws. And I'm not going to blame it entirely on injury, but I do think, you know, since injuring his groin and especially since tweaking it, he's had a bit difficulty getting to the rim. Part of that I'm sure is because of Miami's defense, but I do think that, when fully healthy and Mitchell does kind of give you that chance to make up for your flaws. And he just hasn't been able to do that recently. And it's fine. Cause he's a human, but that's something that I think is worth noting last night. Uh, yeah, for sure. And one of the things that Mitchell has done a insanely good job of doing this year is pull up three point shooting. Uh, the number has gone down a little bit, but he's taken 5.9, uh, pull up threes per game and he's hitting them at 40.8%, which is very, very good. Um, so it's, you know, like, but that's not somebody who he was in Utah. Uh, the previous, you know, his previous five years, he was hitting, uh, he didn't come close to hitting 40.8% on pull up threes. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, if that's going to naturally regress, you know, because before he was hitting around 45%, you know, like if that regresses some and he's, you know, finishes, you know, he takes the rest of the year shooting 30% on pull-up threes, then this offense looks completely different because that's his ability to shoot over defenses is what has saved them at various points in the beginning of the year. But if he can't do that, you know, for the rest of the year, then what does this offense look like in the half court at the end of games? So that's where it's, you know, that's where it's like, I don't really want to blame it on Donovan Mitchell because you're asking him to do something that he's never done before and probably, 
you know, like nobody in the league is good enough to do that besides Steph Curry consistently. And so it's just, you know, it's just tough. To, it's just tough to play with two bigs and somebody else that the defense is okay with shooting, you know, whether that's Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, you know, even Jetty Osmond at the end of games, teams are, if he's out there, teams aren't, you know, they'd rather have him shoot it than have Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland shoot it. So, and you don't really have a whole lot of options like Dean Wade, the same thing. So it's just, it's just tough. They're going to, they're going to make this team a jump shooting team, you know, late in games. Do you try to take off one of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen? But then at that point, it's like, who are you bringing in? That's actually going to make a difference. You know, if Kevin loves playing like he is, that's not an option. And you, you know, you don't want to give up what you have defensively with those two bigs. So it's just, it's just really tough right now. And it, you know, it, it's just a difficult conversation, kind of. Definitely. At, at the end of games, especially with a team like Miami, that is just a brilliant defensive team, um, they're going to pick their poison. And when you have three non-shooters on the court, uh, whether it's Karis LeVert, Okoro, whoever else is out there, uh, that's what they're going to be willing to give up. And the Cavs, I think – they didn't do it in, against Miami, but throughout the season, I think Garland and specifically has been a little reluctant to concede that like he knows that's what the defense is giving up and he's trying to create something else. And he's a fantastic playmaker an incredible shot creator. And so he has had moments where he's been the hero, but he's also had moments where, you know, a, a good example actually is in the Miami game last night. He had a turnover I want to say with like four or five minutes left where he tried to zip a pass into the paint and he was standing at the top of the key. He tried to sneak one in there and it's like Miami was all over it. Jimmy Butler was completely ignoring Levert or Okoro, whoever was in the corner and was able to steal that pass. And again, I think that's a, this is a situation where you're just asking so much of Garland and Mitchell to create shots either for themselves or for people who aren't exactly like, creating a three-pointer for a Coro isn't really what you want at the end of a game. And so, but that's what the defense is giving up. So it's a really, really difficult thing for these two players. And while the reason I brought up the Mitchell stat is just because I do think the injury has limited him a little bit. I, I wasn't trying to blame it all on him because even if he is healthy, that's just an incredible feat to accomplish to be able to pull them out of these holes that they get into on the season. The Cavs are 16 and 15 in the clutch, which is just about league average. They're not worse than any other team. They're not really better. Uh, in January, though, they were three and five in the clutch, which is where I think a lot of that frustration comes in. And I, again, I also think it's worth noting that Mitchell missed six games in January, two of which were would have qualified for being in the clutch. And then the most recent one, uh, he's a little injured. So you trade for Mitchell because you need a closer and you still haven't really given him a supporting cast that makes it easier on him. And it's also just a month where he had the odds stacked against him in terms of having to be a hero, even his best game of the season. It took 71 to get them out of uh, a game against Chicago in overtime. So it's just something where, yeah, like you said, I don't know if you can justify splitting Allen and Mobley up. I don't think that's the answer. I really think somehow you need to find a wing who can either create shots or knock down shots. And they don't have that right now. Even Wade, uh, I'll finish off with this and I'll let you go. 
Wade disappointed me a little last night and he has since returning because he just doesn't look like he wants to shoot the ball very much. And that's, it's been a little frustrating to watch because even though he's not the deadliest shooter in the league, he can sure shoot the ball. And if he just let it go when he's open or even semi-open, it does such uh, it goes a, such a long way for spacing the floor here because teams will be a little less reluctant to leave Wade open compared to Okoro or Levert, I think, in the long run. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you with the Wade point. You know, even if you're playing pickup basketball, if you're covering a guy who makes every three he takes, but he doesn't take many threes, then you're just going to leave your guy because you're going to forget yep. about him. And that's kind of what we sometimes see with Wade. And it's his usage numbers are crazy. <laughs> He's he, he was in the third percentile last year in usage and is currently in the fifth percentile this year. So like he's like a 9.7 usage, which is, I believe, Okoro's around like 12 between he's between 11 and 12. So it's like Okoro yeah, not, has a, not where you want him. Right. So it's like Okoro, who has spent a lot of this season, like especially before December, just camping in the corner without any without doing absolutely anything on offense, without the defense paying any attention to him. And he is still has a higher usage. So it's like, and one of the disappointing things with Wade's injury is we saw this in the preseason. Uh, There's a game against the Sixers in the preseason where he was gunning. He shot, he had like 10 shots in like the first quarter or something like that. And so I think it's, I don't think it's something that, like, I think it's something he and the coaching staff know, like, hey, Dean, you got it you're going to be out there with the starters you got to you got to put some shots some shots up but when you miss as much time as he has you just kind of lose all that momentum that you were you know putting together but yeah so that's that's one of the things it's like with Wade you just he needs to shoot more and you know like and that's why like I write articles about how Jetty needs more playing time it seems like every week now but that's one of the things that I that one of the things that Jetty provides is movement shooting where he's a threat off ball and he moves he's not just hanging out in the corner and he's getting him up so like uh, I believe Jetty has a worse shooting uh, three-point shooting percentage on the season you know and he's clearly not the defender that Wade is but it there is a lot of value in getting shots up and moving not being stationary because that's one of the things like with a two, three zone, you're going to get really stagnant. Like that's the whole, like that's, the you know, that's, point. that's college basketball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you get, you get in a two, three zone and then like, you know, they're just running just around. Move the the ball. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, that's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just frustrating. And I think when the Cavs were kind of, when they were humming in the beginning of the season, Karis Levert was hitting a lot of threes and taking a lot more threes. So it's like things like that really do help. Like just a little bit would go a long way um, in terms of like somebody doing something that's not, you know, one of the core four. Mm. Yeah, it seems like the Cavs can't find a wing that's just right for them. Each one that they have is fills somewhat of a role, but then it's just it doesn't do anything else. So like Jetty, he'll give you the shots that you're looking for, but he's not really going to defend Wade. He can play defense, but he's leaving a lot to be desired in shooting. Okoro, same thing. Stevens, uh, I think Stevens and Okoro are just so similar, but Okoro gives you a little bit more on-ball creation, I think, in terms of uh, setting other people up, playmaking. 
Lamar Stevens is the opposite. He can create for himself a little better. So it's like, there's just not really a wing on the team that you can rely on to do everything that they need in terms of just being a glue guy. That's, that's all they really need is someone who can connect the front court and the back court. And no one on this team has really been able to do that yet. I think Levert has had the most success in doing it, but he's also had a ton of failure and his recent stretch has been rather abysmal. He's not shooting the ball very well. Uh, He's actually creating plates for others, but it's almost like he he might not be turning the ball over as much, but there are just some shots he takes that killed the offense and they're very poor shots and he misses by a mile and it's the opposite of a momentum shot. That's the frustrating thing. Like the frustrating thing with Levert is it, it feels like, he just should be better than what he is. It, he's basically like the Cavs in January in a um, just in mm. a person. Like yeah. he's shooting, <laughs> he's shooting like thirty. He's shooting thirty three percent of his shots from the mid range, which is in the seventy third percentile. He's not shooting. He's uh, only thirty eight percent of his shots are threes, and it's like you know he's not a he's not a great three point shooter, but he's a really bad mid range shooter. Like he's a better three point shooter. He's shooting 31% on mid-range shots. And that's yeah. what like that's, that's what brutal. a third of his shots are. So it's like, you know, it, by comparison, he's shooting 37% on threes. This is according to cleaning the glass. So it, it takes out some of the um, so if you look up his stats, it could be a little different because it takes out garbage time. But basically, what what this is saying is that like, you know, if he just cut out all all the stuff in his game that is really annoying like those mid-range jumpers you know he's not a good rim finisher but he's a good creator when he has the ball he does a good job of getting the bigs involved so it's like if he could just cut out some of that stuff and which i felt like he was at the beginning of the year and he's not now so it's just Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of frustrating things where it's like this team this team should be better this they could be better like yeah, they don't have the pieces, but they're not. It feels like they're just not using the pieces right. The pieces are choosing not to fit. You know, mm. they they're not getting given the opportunity to keep playing. In the case of Jetty, in my opinion, you know, yeah. Kevin like like one of the big things about last year was Kevin Love coming off the bench and just he was great, completely opening everything up just by taking mm. shots. You know. He gets the ball on the on the perimeter. Everybody, the whole defense shifts. Like there's yep. nobody. He's a hub, right? There's there's a nobody on the um, offense right now that's not you know Garland or Mitchell that makes the defense shift like that. So it's just it's just a lot of things are happening right now, and it's like the Cavs. We're like you don't want to get too pessimistic because it's like the Cavs. The core four is playing good, you know. Mitchell and Garland's game last night, notwithstanding, like they're playing good, but they could be more and maybe they will be more, but just how they're currently playing, this is, they're getting the results that they deserve with how they're currently operating. Mm, I agree with that. Like I said, I think they're a good team that's knocking on the door of greatness. They, they don't look like anything more than a good team right now, other than the flashes that they're showing especially that core group, but eight and eight in January, all things considered, that's probably what a good team would do. I I think they're just very slightly above average right now. And all the pieces are there. The important pieces are there. At least you have the core for, it's really just a matter of finding what works around that. 
And I do think if Kevin Love was healthy, or even if, you know, he was just playing like he did last season, regardless of injury, because I don't want to make too many excuses. But if you had a Kevin Love type of player that filled the role that he out of the problems that they have right now don't disappear, but they certainly aren't as glaring, uh, especially in terms of just spacing and operating on offense. I think if there's one thing this team can afford to do is again, whether it be playing at a faster pace or however you do it, they can loosen their grip on defense in the name for the sake of getting out on offense and scoring a little more. I think they can afford to do that, that it'll be a net positive for them. They'll score more points than they'll allow, but it's a balance. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. Um, it just feels like when you have when somebody like Mobley, who's playing as good as he is, and he's playing the best defensive basketball of his entire career, these last playing the best weeks. basketball of his career, right? I think. But his, like his offense is his offense. I think is a lot easier to talk about. Like, oh yeah, he's finishing better. He's moving off ball better. But his defense has just been ridiculous. Like you know, they started the game with him on with him on Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler didn't know what to do. You know, once, mm-hmm. once, you know, once the subs came in, then Jimmy Butler got going uh, because he didn't have Mobley on him. Uh, but it's just like he's playing so well. And Allen is still, you know, a very good rim protector. And having both of them really just shores up the back line of your defense. So it's like I would like to see them trust that back line and go out more and just be like, Hey, if we're going to like, even if, you know, even if you're not going to, you know, I need to stop bringing up Jetty, but it's like, even if you're not going to play Jetty, <laughs> it's like, don't play Jetty. That's fine. But Isaac Okoro, what can he do re- really well? He can finish in, in transition, mm-hmm. you know, get him running. Yeah. Put a emphasis on that. And that's one of the things that it's one of the things Jetty does really well is he, as soon as like, you know, as soon as the M turnover happens, as soon as, you get the rebound. He's gone. And it's like, mm. let's have Isaac Okoro do that, you know, like, and then Even try Mopey to find him. Push it at times. Yeah. It's just like this team needs the easy offense. And it's one of the things that really frustrates me, especially late in games where they try to walk it up the court. And that's where it's one of those things where it's like, are they walking up the court because they're tired? Because we've all played basketball games where you're tired at the end of the game and you're just like, mm. yeah, we're just not running because we can't like, is it because they're tired? Ty- like, it's because their guards are tired because they have to carry the whole offense for, you know, 48 minutes. Or is this like, you know, is this a choice? And it, it's just, it's frustrating. And I feel like they're just leaving some easy opportunities to win around the margins. Cause that's the whole thing. They don't like, if you look at like, their net rating. And as you said, at the beginning of the show, it's like, they're in all of these games. Like they don't need to, like, they don't need to overhaul. Then that, and that's, what's frustrating. They're not far. They just need to win on the margins, just a little bit better. And this game that came down to the last couple minutes, you know, this game easily could have gone the other way. Mitchell hits a couple shots. The Cavs win. But if the Cavs are winning along the margins better throughout the first 45 minutes, this is probably like a, this could be a seven point win that you're not even worried about clutch time offense and stuff like that. And then that's the same thing with the Knicks game. You know, the Cavs had the thunder on the rope in the beginning, in the beginning of their game last week. And it's like, 
they weren't able to do that because they just they're just leaving stuff out there and that's that's where the frustration comes from so i get you know i get when the coaching staff says stuff about being patient and you know tries to hang a banner for being one of seven teams with over 30 wins or something like that <laughs> like i you know like okay cool you know yeah this is a process but they're not losing because it's it's not like like last year there was a lot of man like garland just doesn't know how to finish some of these games you know he needs a veteran presence to help him out like we're, they're not losing games like that they're losing games because it's like you know the process just isn't isn't as tight as it needs to be mm-hmm. yeah they're they're beating themselves to a degree again never to take away anything from the opponent but poor execution has cost them uh, a number of games this season again i think the important thing is that they are basically in every single game there's only been a few games this season that they've lost just straight up every other game they could have won if a few more things went their way or more specifically they took advantage of a few more things i don't want to you know place it all on luck but yeah they're they're there in pretty much every game and as this team grows and learns and puts more supporting pieces together and Garland matures as a, a floor general and Mitchell has a little more help in terms of closing out games by next season, they could be winning, you know, a far better percentage of the games that they're in right now, as long as they keep the, the process is there. They just need to execute and finish games. Yeah. And, well, and it's like, they could go on a run in February through the end of the year or through March to the end of the year. Like that's what the Celtics did last year. Cause like their core four is good enough to do that. We just, they got to figure out, they got to figure out the rotations. They got to figure out the balance. They got to figure out how they want, like they got to figure out an identity on offense, especially like late in games. So it's like, I don't think like, this isn't like a lost season. This is a team that I think matches up well against a lot of the top of the East in a playoff series. Like, yeah, they wouldn't be favored, but like, they have the skill and talent there to be good. It's just can all can that all come together? And it just hasn't. Yeah. Looking ahead on their schedule, they have Memphis tomorrow, which will be a tough game. But after that, they have a stretch of games where they could really, really prove themselves and gain some ground. They'll play Indiana, Washington, Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, and San Antonio all in a row. And that's a stretch where you're probably favored to win every single one of those. And will they win all of them? I don't know, but it's definitely an area where they could rattle off a little win streak and get themselves rolling with some momentum here heading into the the home stretch of the season. So I think that's what we will definitely want to see from them. The last thing that I want to finish out here, uh, kind of recapping January on a positive note, I think Evan Mobley and Darius Garland both played their best basketball of the season so far. In Mobley's case, I think it was the best basketball of his career. We've talked about his defense. Uh, He was great last year as a defender. This year, I think he's taken a leap forward. He has genuinely been an all-defensive caliber player. It's uh, just unbelievable watching him. He's otherworldly when it comes to scrambling onto the perimeter, defending three-point shooters there recovering back into the paint to stop shots, whether it be just altering shots or blocking shots. He's just been a menace on defense, protecting the paint. He's rebounding at a really good rate. Something that I've noticed is that it seems like he's gotten a lot stronger. 
I don't know if I somehow missed that, but it, it looks like he's a lot stronger than he was before. And I think part of that, he's just being a little more aggressive. Like I've even at times seen him, I think it was the Thunder game, Levert blew a rotation and Mobley kind of it didn't yell at him, but got into him a little bit. And I don't think I've seen Mobley do that to one of his teammates before. And that just shows me that he, the competitiveness is really taking over and he is starting to feel like a defensive leader and that he can lead this team to more wins. And that's something that I really, really love seeing from him, especially on offense, because he's making super quick decisions with the ball. He's found his shooting stroke a little bit in the mid range. Uh, That Milwaukee game was it probably an outlier and is boosting the stats, but it feels like he's shooting better in the mid range. He had a game where he hit two, three pointers recently, the three point shot still isn't where it needs to be but these are good signs. And most importantly, he's finishing in the paint uh, at an insane degree. He's dunking everything. He's attacking in the pick and roll. He's attacking when he catches on the perimeter. And I'm just loving everything that I'm seeing from Evan Mobley recently. Yeah. uh, He's been, he's been great. So for January, he's averaging 17.1 points per game uh, to go along with 8.7 rebounds. Uh, And he's the second highest uh, Cavalier in plus minus on the month. Uh, so 17 points, that's really, you know, that's kind of a number that you'd like to see him at and like to see him, um, you know, sustain for a longer period of time. Uh, it's crazy that he's, you know, he's been a better shooter. I mean, not, sorry, he hasn't been a better shooter and he's still, you know, picked up his scoring because uh, he's, you know, he's still not hitting, he's still not hitting threes at all. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the uh, game where he hit two was very much an outlier, but I had to toss it in there. Right, yeah, because he's on the month, he's taking 1.33s a game, which I believe is that's less than he was taking last year, and he's hitting 15.8% of them. So basically, that's like he he only hit those two threes in that. <laughs> yeah, in that that's pretty much game. it. <laughs> right, so it's just, you know, and he's still, he's still not getting to the free throw line like you want him to, and he's not hitting his free throws like you want him to. Um but yeah, that's is, that's the painful one. The free throws, yeah. man. But like what he is doing is he's finishing around the rim. You know, he's shooting 77% at the rim on the season. That's in the 81st percentile for bigs. Like that's very good. And he's finding ways to get to the rim. He's finding he's finding he's finding opportunities in an offense that's not conducive for him with Allen out there. Mm-hmm. You know, two guys who can only finish that at the rim, you know, it's tough to give them opportunities to both do that. But, you know, Mobley, his ability to reposition himself within an offensive, you know, within the offensive flow is just elite for someone his age. So, you know, you combine that with his athleticism. It's, you know, he's, he's taking the leap offensively, but he's, the reason I get excited about him is his defense and mm-hmm. he's just, he just keeps getting better. He just, he just blows things up before it even gets, gets a chance to get going. And I'm really excited to see him against Memphis. I thought his game against Memphis was his best defensive game. Insane in the fourth quarter, just right. uh, unbelievable, completely shut down the paint to a degree I haven't seen him do before. Right. So I'm excited to see him do that to see him hopefully do that in front of a national yeah, audience. Hopefully. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe Shaq will see him for the second time. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll figure out whoever Mobley is by the end of the night. I hope. Right. Um, yeah. We'll, 
hopefully we get another version of the um I didn't I didn't I didn't respect your game. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all of the all of the feel of the game stuff that he has on defense has has really been translating to offense too like you said with him relocating. I think the game's just slowing down to him is probably the best way to explain it on both ends and when you add that to a guy who was already an incredible defender as a rookie, he's just even better now like to a degree where he'll probably be in the defensive player of the year race within the next year or two. Like that's just the caliber player he is. Um, and yeah, then but, and, oh, uh, just like real quick, I was going to say like the most encouraging, but maybe the most discouraging thing is that he's showing these growths by just getting better at what he's already done. Well, it's like, if yeah. he gets more strength, if he becomes a guy who can bully guys, cause he's not bullying people right now. Um, like he even had, I, I saw this one. Uh, there was this one possession against against Bam where he tried to face up and do a turnaround, and like he started, you know, below the free throw line. And by the time like Bam was able to push him all the way out to the free throw line, by the time he was taking the shot, so it's like mm. when he can actually like, you know, use his athleticism and like body people, like then he's going to mm. be even better at the things he's doing. But he's still really good, you know, around the rim. But the things that if you said, hey, Bo was going to take an offensive leap this year before the season, you would have said, oh, well, that means he's probably just hitting a bunch of threes and he's playmaking in the offense. And that's, you know, he's really not doing that yet, but he's, I think he maybe can one day do that. Maybe the shooting is, I don't know. We, we may have to have a conversation about the shooting because yeah. anyways, uh, but that's, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just room for improvement. Like there's so much room for improvement. That's the thing mm. with him. And he's still amazing. So that's really encouraging. Yeah. I mean, he's just taking advantage of all the touches that he's getting in the paint that he was getting last year, that he was getting at the start of the season. And he's just doing a better job of uh, being aggressive in those moments and scoring. Uh, the last thing that we'll touch on here, uh, I mentioned Darius Garland in January, essentially averaging 22 points and nine assists on very good shooting splits. The playmaking and efficiency has really only been matched this month by Jokic and Harden when you look at the stats. And I know that's kind of a Thaddeus Young type of stat to pull out, but <laughs> he's been very good at uh, controlling the offense is the point that I'm trying to make. He's taking good shots for the most part. He's making his shots, and he's creating plays for others. And I think he's really hitting his midseason stride. He looks like he's playing with a rhythm again. The bigs are starting to eat a little bit because he's actually getting downhill throwing those no-look passes. The lob pass has come alive again. And I think earlier in the season, while the guards and the offense, and the offense is still figuring itself out, but they have gotten back into a little niche where Garland is setting them up and he's having a lot of fun out there. And over his last six games, 53 assists, only nine turnovers. So that's just insane. He, The only criticism that I would have, and this is something that people have said about him his entire career, is I still think he can assert himself a little bit more as a scorer. And the only thing that worries me is that since we had been saying this for his whole career, and granted he did take a huge leap from year two to year three in that department, I do just think maybe the Steve Nash Steve Nash comparison is going to be a little too true, where maybe he'll just be that guy where his entire career you're begging for him to take more shots, but that's just not the type of player he is. And if that's the case, I still think the Cavs have lucked out with a generational talent because he has really seemed like he is finding uh, 
comfortable rhythm in the offense now. Yeah, I just I just love that um assist to turnover stat that you just said. And it even goes back like the whole month of January. He has he what does he have? He has 122 assists and 32 turnovers, which is just yeah. ridiculous. He's just been and, fantastic. Right. And that's something that it's one of the things like you mentioned with his aggressiveness. His aggressiveness has been a problem, especially, you know, the first two years of his career um, when he's trying to find his place. And one of the things that I looked at, like if Garland was getting a lot of turnovers, like I didn't think that was a bad thing because it meant he was trying things. Whereas, you know, in the beginning, like the first two years of his career, he'd have a game where he had like three assists and no turnovers. And it's like, that's not good. I'd rather you have seven Mm -hmm. assists and four turnovers because we're trying to push stuff. So, you know, we, he's gotten, He's gotten better, but it, he still turned it over a, a bunch even last year when he took the leap. Uh, and it's something that he's really tightened up this last month, and it's really showing through like his turnover percentages. Like He was in the ninth percentile his first season, the 23rd percentile his second season, the 28th percentile last season, and this season he's in the 54th. So it's like that's yeah. a huge loop, it's a huge leap, you know, yeah. a 12% turnover turnover ratio so it's just those are the things that we want to see and i think like his aggressiveness as a score he doesn't take as many pull-up threes as i think he would like him to although he was forced to take a bunch against miami um i think that's one area where you'd like to see him become a better scorer i don't have too much of a concern like i think a lot of his a lot of his scoring issues are like kind of a byproduct of being in like the offense that he's that he's currently in like you know he 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 has a tough time finishing at the rim he's currently only shooting 51% at the rim which is in the 8th percentile which is very bad but it's like in the current offense like it's tough for somebody with his size who doesn't have the explosiveness that you know, Donovan Mitchell has, uh, it's very tough to finish in traffic like that. Like we saw that in the OKC game late, he was trying to finish in the, tr- in the paint and he just couldn't because yeah. he there, just was couldn't guys, there was three guys, there three guys there. So it's just, yeah. it's just like, you know, it's maybe we'd like to see him get just a little better on the floater. He's very good at the floater, but maybe get to being elite on the floater Maybe that's his next step as a scorer, uh, you know, and it's like he's very good at it. So I don't, I don't want to say he's bad, but if he becomes elite, that's probably your quickest path to becoming more aggressive because it's like I'm fine with how aggressive he is right now because he's getting his teammates involved and he's looking for ways to score. But it's just a lot of those situations just really aren't good for him right now with who he's out there with. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think to his credit, something that's definitely worth noting, his free throw attempts have jumped from three and a half last season to five now. So I do think he's making more of an effort to get into the paint and draw contact and get himself to the free throw line rather than, you know, he did a lot of scoop layups. He still does scoop layups, but he avoided contact a lot throughout the start of his career. And I think now he is, when his jump shot isn't falling, falling, he's making more of an effort to get into the paint. He's taken some hits. He's taken more than a few hits, honestly, but he's gotten to the line and he's made up for it and he's improved in that 
department. And yeah, like you said, a floater would be great. Uh, really just picking and choosing when to take over games, I guess would be my final comment there. I think there are moments where he could take a little bit more of a command of the offense, but like you said, very difficult with this current makeup. Yeah. What he needs to do is, so you know how like Hakeem Olajuwon has had like the post-up school in the summer where it's like LeBron spent the summer at the Mm post-up school. Um, Harden needs to open up like a grifting boot camp or something yeah. like that. And yeah. that's where that's where we need to send Darius because he needs to he needs to be in the he line needs to sell that more. contact a little more. Right. <laughs> well, I think he gets like I think he gets kind of he could get a better whistle, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just it's just so tough to get a good whistle when you're not really finishing in the paint. So that's kind yeah. of where it's like if he's finishing better in the paint, I think he gets a better whistle, but it's like if he goes there and there's three guys there, even if there's a little contact, that's like, well, you're not going to finish that. Like we're not, hmm. we're we not going to bail you out. Right. Yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of factors there, but I think that's finding a more consistent in between game is probably the next step, even though he's, he has a good in between game already. Hmm. Yeah. Pull up mid range floater, all that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for the episode. Uh, thank you for coming on, Jackson. It's always great to talk some calves. Thank you for uh, having me. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, go calves. <laughs>